Good morning, everyone, and welcome to All Things Russell on Laker Country 104.9 WJRS. Jeff Hoover in the studio with Tony Kerr this morning, and we also have a special guest that we'll be talking to, and uh, you're really going to love uh, the program uh, this morning. Again, we would remind you we are on Facebook Live. If you want to go to our Facebook page, uh, you can follow us there live on Facebook Live. And if you have questions during the program or comments, you can give us a call at 270-343-4444 or send us an email to allthingsrussell at lakercountry.com. Tony, before we get into uh, our program this morning, I know something you and I both are very excited about, but it's been a busy week here in Russell County, and uh, I think it sort of capped off this morning with the uh, story that aired on CBS News about Russell County Hospital being the first hospital in Kentucky to receive the uh, Johnson & Johnson vaccine for COVID, which they started uh, administering yesterday, but pretty neat stuff. It is, and uh, it's just great news. A lot of people have been waiting for that vaccine, and uh, now it looks like, uh, Jeff, it's going to be widely available. You see uh, stories of uh, even those uh, pharmaceutical companies helping one another with their production. So, uh, you know, the quicker the better. I'm scheduled for my vaccine tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's good for you. 7.30 in the morning. I can't wait. I've been calling them for about a month and a half. I, I'd have been first if they'd let me, but I wasn't in that group, but uh, uh, anxious to take it. You know, it is still very serious the pandemic and it is taking lives and uh, taking some of our Russell Countyans. Yeah, and we certainly uh, pause for just a moment to send our condolences and sympathies to uh, the family of Debbie Russell, Scott Russell, her husband, pastor at uh, mm-hmm. Jamestown First Baptist Church. I know, Tony, that's where you attend church. But My pastor. Just a wonderful lady, wonderful couple there and uh, our thoughts and prayers with Scott and his family upon her passing yesterday as a result of complications from COVID. Uh, but, you know, the the uh, story this morning on CBS, uh, I thought just highlighted Russell County in such a positive way. And uh, sitting there watching it around 625 or 630 when it was on and just uh, just – Really pretty neat, actually, to see. Alberta Thomas, you said? Yeah. I, I, I haven't seen it. I listened yeah. to the radio. Yeah, it, uh, I didn't see it, but uh, I'll have to go back and watch it. Yeah, it was uh, it was a it was a great story, uh, and uh, kudos to Zach Oaks here. Our news director had the story on this morning, um, Had and uh, Sean and Zach had uh, Patrick uh, Branco, CEO at the hospital, had him in here in the studio yesterday. Um, school's going to resume here in a couple of weeks. Uh a lot of folks been waiting on that for for quite some time, and looks like uh, it's going to happen here. School board's meeting today, and assuming uh, they adopt the recommendation of Superintendent Michael Ford, school will resume here in a couple of weeks. Is that four days a week? Four days a week. Yep. Yeah, I see that in other school districts, yep. so uh, that's great. You know, we've said it many times: the best place for these children is in the classroom, and I know they're excited uh, to get back and. Uh, uh, just hopefully we, we get back on to a little normalcy. Uh, we still got a ways to go, but uh, good news, spring is right around the corner. And it sure feels good, too. <laughs> it feels good out there. I can just tell people feel better. They they act better. Everything is better when, when the weather is good and spring is on the horizon. So I, I, I agree with that. Our program uh, this morning, again, here on All Things Russell, if you have a comment 
a question as we get in the program, give us a call at uh, 343-4444. And, uh, Tony, we're very happy to have with us in the studio this morning uh, Lowell Robertson. And Lowell, a local resident that many people know, and uh, uh, he has some fascinating information to contribute uh, to our story here this morning, and we appreciate Lowell doing that. And um, let's get into our story. And uh, uh, this has taken a, a sort of a background uh, before we start. Tony and I have researched uh, several uh, newspaper articles. There's also been a uh, booklet or a compilation of stories uh, that we're going to talk about with Lowell uh, as, as we get into this story, but just so much information out there. Just about everyone likes tales of the past. People enjoy reading about the gangsters and the bandits who once, once roamed freely throughout the land. And of those few who were caught, most ended up at the end of a rope. People almost always enjoy a movie or a story that has a hanging in it. And they used to come from miles around to witness the act itself. Mark Twain once wrote that the hanging he witnessed was pretty common as hangings go. He said that the people brought picnic lunches and all wore their Sunday best clothes and also that the people after it was all over said that it had been more fun than any camp meeting they could remember. As you might have already guessed, this is a hanging story, but it is neither funny nor was it common. And from the Russell County News, dated October 4, 1979, we have the, the cool on the morning of December the 13th, 1908, as Jim Woldridge walked to school. It was a familiar path to Woldridge, one that he had traveled many times on his way to school. As he made his lonely trek along the wooded path, he could hear small animals who dared face the harsh winter scurrying around in the underbrush. The breeze that whistled through the trees smelled of snow and Woldridge turned the collar up on his coat to shield the cold. It was a normal day for Woldridge, just another school day among a thousand others. As Woldridge made his path around a curve in the path, he suddenly froze in his steps. He stood staring in sheer fright at a tall, thin man dangling from a rope swaying gently in the wind. Woldridge's first impulse was to run, but somehow his feet wouldn't carry him. Oh, it was a scary sight, Woldridge said, shaking his head as he recalled his adventure. I was just seven or eight years old, and I won't deny that I was scared to death. I put my hat in my hand, and I ran like the wind. You couldn't have caught me with an airplane. Woodridge said that he, when he reached the Greasy Creek School, he was, quote, plumb give out. What Woodridge had witnessed that morning on his way to school was the first and only hanging in Russell County. Jeff, uh, 
This is from the Adair County News and dated December 16, 1908. The crime committed last week in the neighborhood of Russell Springs, elsewhere, given in this issue, is one that shocks and horrifies every individual who hears of it. In the catalog of crime, in the depth of human depravity, it marks the extreme limits of beastly lust and destruction. No country has ever had a more horrid murder, and no demon has ever executed a more hellish crime. A sweet little girl, not quite 11 years of age, innocent and pure as a newborn flower, happy and joyful, nearing her mother's side after a day in school, almost at the doorstep of her home, seized by a brute in human form, carried into the woods, outraged, and then murdered to hide the crime. And by now everyone knows that we're talking about uh, the rape, murder, of Nanny Womack and uh, Elmer Hill, of course, the perpetrator. He was uh, the next week uh, captured and uh, was lynched, the only hanging, as you said, in Russell County. Good morning, Lowell Robertson. You know a lot about this story, don't you? Well, I have some personal involvement that caused me to be interested in this story, and uh, I've spent approximately 12 years doing research along with other people. Lowell, I've, of course, grown up here in Russell County. I've always heard of Elmer Hill and this murder. And uh, you've heard, there's a lot of various stories. One thing is we know she was killed. And uh, from all the evidence, uh, uh, Elmer Hill was, uh, everyone's pretty sure, was, was the man that, that murdered her. Correct. Uh, I personally feel that he should have been given a jury trial <clears throat> and at that time I think the punishment would have been hanging and he would have been legally hanged. Yeah, that was about um, four or maybe four years before the electric chair was even built in Kentucky where it's used at Eddyville, so hanging was the, the method, but uh, I agree with you. Uh, give you. Give you the story. Uh, Nanny Womack, and this is in the Mount Olive community, uh, around Webb's Crossroads, walking home from school. It was on the afternoon. It was a Tuesday, uh, the the 8th of December, 1908, walking home from school as kids uh, back then did. Uh, no transportation for school. Walking home with some of her friends. They had taken another path to go to their home. This is about 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and uh, she is about 300 yards or so from her home, and uh, she travels on alone. She had a sister, but her sister was sick that day. Uh, so she was alone, and uh, in that 300 yards, by the time she left her friends and home, she was uh, attacked and murdered. She didn't show up for home. And Tony, I'll, I'll read this account uh, that was published in the October 7th, 1954 edition of uh, the Russell County News. And it incorporated a story from the Adair County News in November of 1908. It says, Mamie Womack, a daughter of Mr. Logan Womack, 11 years of age, was on her way home from school. She's a pupil in a school in a one-room schoolhouse. Mount Olive. School was dismissed on the afternoon, and she started home with other students, small girls, 
all together until they got, as you said, Tony, within 300 yards of where Mamie Womack lived. Mamie started alone to her house. She was seized and dragged into the woods, assaulted, and murdered. She failed to reach her parents' home, and when she was found dead in the woods by parties who had gone in search of her, the whole country was immediately aroused. Yep. Folks were angry. Bloodhounds were ordered from Lincoln County and placed on the trail of the murderer, the man suspect being Elmer Hill, who was a cousin of the girl. And Lowell, explain that relationship. You know the family history. How was Mamie, who's also referred to, I think, as Nanny Womack, uh, how was she related to Elmer Hill? Elmer, <clears throat> Elmer Hill's mother was a sister to Nanny's mother, so they were first Okay. Uh, Elmer Hill was about uh, 22, 23 years old, I think. Uh, I'm really sure. Born in 1980 or 1881. 27. 27. So that would have made him 27 years old. Okay. And the newspaper account said she was 11. She was actually 10. 10 and some three months. Three months. Yes, sir. That's right. but what developed after her body was discovered, as Tony said, near Mount Olive Community or near the one-room school, um, really was a mob mentality, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And it was uh, fairly widespread, according to all the accounts that we've read. Mm-hmm. I personally believe there were three or four people that really spread that uh, and immediately begin to say that Elmer did the crime. Uh, whether those people had some legitimate knowledge or not, we'll never know because, once again, there was never a trial and they were never witnesses. Yeah. Some of the people that gave those stories to the, paper, to the newspaper in Columbia uh, didn't tell the whole truth. Uh, I doubt if they told the truth about uh, how the hanging happened and where it was at and lots yeah. of things like that. I have heard that it happened at Bryan, Kentucky. I've heard that uh, lots of those things. The crime actually happened in the Mount Olive community, uh, not very far from what's now U.S. 127. Uh, the hanging actually happened on what was called Jamestown Turnpike. That was one of the better roads in, in the whole <laughs> country, and it was not a pathway that yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that he was going walking going to school. Uh, I've had people that told me they had pieces of the rope and but they would never show them to me, even if I offered to buy them or offered to pay to look at them. Yeah. Uh, Pieces people, of the tree, I've heard. That was not true. I saw the tree myself. My grandfather showed me where it was at exactly, and it was actually just a scraggly old tree. 
Explain uh, your relationship. You're you're related on both sides, right? Uh, correct. Expl- explain that your relation to the Womack family and to the Hill family. My great grandmother was a sister to Nanny's mother, and also was at least a half brother to a half sister to Elmer Hill. Okay. And uh, that made me related to both parties. As they were related to each other. As they were related to each other. Lowell, let's talk about um, she's murdered. She doesn't come home from school. They immediately start looking for her because it's so uncommon. Uh, And uh, her father, others start looking. Clay Dameron finds the body. Correct. her father didn't find her, Clay Dameron. They called him Uncle Clay, but I think later on they would call him Uncle Clay. Uh, he found her, and uh, he was so scared. And I read in uh, in the manuscript that, uh, and we're, and we're going to talk about that uh, in just a moment by by James Garner that you contributed to. Uh, he was so scared when he found her, he ran uh, to her house and said, "I found her, but I didn't do this." Right. Because it was so horrific. And he was so scared, and apparently this bothered him for the rest of his life, as it would anyone. It did. Because you just didn't see things things like this. They bring her body home. She is prepared. No undertakers back in the day. You buried your own. Uh, they had a wake that night. She was laid out, as they would say, uh, at home. And uh, this, is where, this is something that I didn't know. At that wake, and of course it would be people there in the community, people who had heard what had happened that afternoon, uh, Elmer Hill was at the wake yes, he was. that night of the girl he had murdered just hours earlier in the day. He was there. Tell us about that. Well, he and Nanny, from what family has told me, were very close. Uh, he would go to their house and actually spend the night there a lot and uh, she shared her lunch at school with him he would go by the school at Mount Olive and she actually shared her lunch with him and now he also worked for her dad right off and on he worked he did a lot of odd jobs uh, he was quite popular I think with a lot of uh, homemakers because he carried their At one time, he was also employed at a at a sawmill, stave mill, in the area there. In fact, they were going to use scraps from that to burn him at stake when they found him. There's so, a, there's an account uh, written by Keith Markham in the Times Journal in March of 1972 that said uh, supposedly the Logan Womack family, uh, which would have been Nanny's father hired Elmer to chop wood for them, and he also uh, had been hurt, accidentally injuring himself, and had gone to the Womack house, and Mrs. Womack and her daughter uh, had taken care of him when he injured himself. Uh, So he, we have other accounts of where, as you said, he carried water for people, that he was uh, uh, really took care of some people as far as delivering water that we know. Mm And even though he had a speech impairment, he he was excellent singer and played the guitar. He sang at what was then Jerry Cole Church, now New Friendship Baptist Church, 
Uh, he sang with the choir there uh, and was quite talented, even though he was impaired. Uh, but because of the impairment, he never went to school. But even up until he was in his teens, I think he visited Mount Olive School at Recess and, and mm. played with the kids some. So he was well known to the family. You know, there, there was, there's always been some reports that people were scared of him. According to that, uh, the Womack family knew him. He'd worked for him. He worked for others in there. Uh, he may have been, what, slow-witted. He was, uh, you know, he was uh, not learned. But uh, these people knew him and hired him, and he was around. It was not uncommon for him to be around. Right. But he he developed some things. He drank whiskey and uh, had some run-ins with the law. Had some run-ins with the law. Uh, he went to church drunk once, and the good people there at New Friendship uh, brought him to court. Yeah, Lowell, and back in the day, in the day, if you disrupted a religious service, that was a major crime. Right, and you could actually go to the penitentiary. Uh, for that disruption of a Sunday school service or uh, uh, any kind of worship service. Mm -hmm. But in Elmer's case, I think they dismissed the case. Mm -hmm. uh, so he had run-ins with the law and actually broke jail one time. Sawed out of the jail, I saw. At that time, the jail in Russell County was behind what's now the Bank of Jamestown. It was a log structure, two-story log structure, and he and a man by the name of Dehart sawed their way out. He, Dehart was never caught. Uh, they found Elmer living with his uncle over near Camelfield, and uh, in 1900, he was listed on the senses as being there with his uncle so he but they did arrest him in taylor county and brought him back to russell county and uh he did i believe pay a fine and did some hard labor uh, lowell in looking at his background there was really nothing in his criminal record you know you had the that charge and then uh uh discharging a firearm carrying a, a concealed weapon uh but Nothing really to indicate that he w could do something like this. However, there was one charge that he had exposed himself to Correct. someone, and that is the uh, where he was fined fifty dollars and had exposed himself. Uh, other than that, the other charges were, you know, drunkenness and shooting off a gun and things like that. I think he did the exposure in a in a fun kind of way. He was. Uh, as the as I those court records read, he was accused of farting and <laughs> I read some of that. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it's in, the, it's in the grand jury record. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the uh, the witness though didn't think it was too funny. Apparently, she came to court well, and uh, naturally a, a young lady would not think that was very funny. And he went to jail for it. Right. And he was in jail. That's how why he broke jail. Yeah. You know, in 1908, uh, when this incident occurred, and as we've mentioned, the body of Nanny Womack, it's also she's also referred to as Mamie Womack. Is that a is that an era? That was a, that was an era, okay. and 
I think we have to keep in mind that the press back in those days liked to uh, make a big deal yeah. ever, uh, out of things, and they made it sound uh, really, really bad. Yeah. And in all probability, it was lots of times not even accurate. Yeah. In fact, uh, I think in the Stanford newspaper, they said that uh, she was killed by a black man. Uh, I noticed there were several references uh, to that, uh, and they they and and it, I guess it was a result of that that uh, that paper reported killed by by a black man, but other papers then later on say a white man, and I was right. saying you wonder why that was in there, right? To correct the previous stories, <laughs> and and it's interesting we need to point out to folks in in researching this. And we'll talk about what J.D. Garner did, Lowell, with your assistance in a moment. But in researching this, the archives for Russell County newspapers, Tony, Russell County News or Times Journal, only go back to 1939. But the archives, say, for the Wayne County newspaper in Stanford and the Courier Journal. Adair County. Adair, Adair, County. Adair County's a good source. Yeah, they go back to the 1800s. So you're, we're, we're a little at a disadvantage from the Russell County newspapers because we just don't have the archives. Uh, the Adair County newspaper archives go back into the 1800s, as does the Wayne County Outlook and others. Um, uh, but we'll, we'll come back and sort of walk forward from her body being found. Um, and so her body is found. Uh, she is laid out, as Tony says, that night. Elmer Hill is reportedly there with the family. This was his first cousin. Um, and then, uh, according to a newspaper story, the rumor got out that there was a large reward out for Elmer because he was the one that folks thought had done it. Uh, and that began uh, a anywhere from a three- to a five-day manhunt for him, correct? Correct. Uh he was found after the rewards had been offered. The governor, I believe he was Wilson, mm -hmm. uh, offered a $250 uh, reward. And then the county judge here, or the, I don't know whether they're really the county judge then, but. B.H.H. Uh, Dunbar was he, his name. He was right. the county judge, and he would have been the judge over the Russell Quarterly Court. Yeah, right. That would have had jurisdiction over that, right? And what he did, he offered an additional hundred dollar reward. Right. By the way, those rewards never got paid. Yeah, I've got the affidavits. <laughs> we'll talk about in a moment. So, so there was this reward from the state, and then the county judge here which then would have been presiding, as Tony said, over the criminal court. Mm -hmm. He uh, issued a, a statement to $100 reward, uh, but the, that really began for Elmer Hill. He right? left, well, and according to the reports, he was at the wake, and they started talking about bloodhounds, that they were mm -hmm. going to bring in some bloodhounds. Mm -hmm. And maybe he got nervous. He said something to the effect that he'd, he'd, he'd give $50 to find out who'd done this. Mm -hmm. And then he got nervous, and all of a sudden he disappears from the wake, and there's they have suspicions of him anyway, and then they start looking for him, right? That's correct. And this manhunt, um, this mob that had gathered, um, according to several different newspaper articles, uh, they brought in some bloodhounds from Lincoln County. 
and you shared with us from Houstonville, Lincoln County. Um, and and your thoughts on, on that? I mean, they bring in these bloodhounds and trying to track Elmer Hill. Um, your well, thoughts? Well, first they let the bloodhound smell of the club that they had. And, and that's another thing. There's There are reports that she was strangled with a scarf, and then you have the club that she was right. beaten to death and, and beaten pretty badly. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> Supposedly when he, the, the mob, he confessed to them, supposedly, and he told them that he uh, strangled her with her, I don't remember what the name of the scarf was. I, but, I saw that. And uh, so, therefore, he, he if, if that was a true confession, said that he did it with strangling her. He never mentioned... Using of a club. Using of a club. But anyway, from there, the bloodhounds tracked him to the home of Allison Hill, Holt, who they where they found some bloody clothing. Allison claimed he'd killed hogs the day before, and they they were his. Allison's man. Yeah, Allison. Hill Holt, Allison Holt, would yes. have been what relation to Elmer? He would have been his grandfather. Okay. And they tracked, the, the bloodhounds tracked to that residence, and that his grandfather's residence, they found the bloody clothes, or some bloody clothes. Right. And his grandfather's explanation was that Elmer had killed some hogs the day before. Well, I'm not for sure that it was the grandfather that made that explanation. Okay. It could have been some of the family. Okay. Uh, they were at least three of them living there, and it could have been the family. But they went from there then and left Sano, headed towards the Blair Schoolhouse area across Cliff, Big Clifty Creek up in Russell Springs. Went down by Montpelier, down Russell Creek, out up where Zion Church is, that's where that uh, 92 intersects with 55. Okay. The old church there. And supposedly he got underneath a wagon and and rode for a mile or two. Uh, there was one story that happened over around Sano that he came in that store and bought bologna and cheese and <laughs> sat on the counter and ate it. Uh, and that wasn't the direction that the bloodhounds went at all. Yeah. Uh, so, so, so how long did it take them to, to actually track him? They tracked him for three days and they gave up. Okay. Yeah, the bloodhounds never found him. Never found him, no. Okay. So I, see, I, I didn't understand that part. So after three days, they called off the bloodhounds. Uh, but then he was captured on a Sunday morning, all right? Yes. Uh, I believe a fellow by the name of Wolford and a name of Wilson. Wilson. And a young fellow by John the name of Shepard. John Shepard, that's right. And, and this is a good time to... Uh, and, uh, okay, d- d- I found ahead. he was... 
He was actually found sleeping in a building or barn that belonged to his uncle William Hill. Okay. And, you know, it would even be possible that's where he'd been all along that they was looking for him and that they were tracking someone else. But, once again, there was no evidence ever produced, so we don't know that. So, by reports, uh, S.W. Wilson, S.M. Wolford, I think, and John Shepard found him and brought him to the jail. Jamestown. Yeah, to Jamestown, uh, to the jail. That was early on a Sunday morning, if the reports are accurate. December 13th. And um, five days after the uh, incident, and he is there at the jail. The jailer of Russell County is interesting name, Henry Clay, Clay Sullivan. Henry right. Clay Sullivan, who went by either H.C. Sullivan or Clay Sullivan, mm-hmm. uh, was the jailer. And they brought Elmer Hill there. These three gentlemen did on Sunday morning. Uh, they had uh, captured him. And uh, then it gets really interesting, doesn't it, at, yes, at it that does. point? And so Elmer Hill is in jail on Sunday morning, December the 13th, 1908, five days after the body of Nanny Womack has been discovered uh, near the Mount Olive uh, community. And he is there in jail, and there um, even gets bigger. Uh, some accounts say 100 uh, men or so uh, form this lynch mob, and they are after Elmer Hill. And what happened then, the jailer of Russell County at that time, as we said, was H.C. Sullivan, Clay Sullivan, and he decided his son was a deputy jailer, Tony, and uh, Clay Sullivan decided he knew the mob was coming and they were going to try to overtake the jail and take Elmer Hill from there and lynch him. Uh, so he transferred him to the Monticello jail. And, and you recall how he did that? Yes, he he dressed Elmer up as a woman. Right. And that's that, what I've always heard. Well, I'd heard that growing up. They dressed him up as a woman and snuck him out of the jail. <laughs> he walked, walked right out among people and yeah. got in a buggy or a wagon, and they they left down they the Jamestown Pike. Went down the Jamestown Pike to get on the ferry, right. as the reports say, to cross the river at that time to go to Monticello. Was there ever... A court appearance that Sunday. There was there's mention. Is, there was maybe the the judge called it off, but they were going to have what was called an examining trial. Uh, no court records show any of that. Right, and I, I get. I assume that you've even looked for those. I have. Uh, they they were never found. That for there was an examining trial, but the judge did. Uh, intend to hold him in jail until a grand jury met. And they were going to have, uh, uh, the account I read is he was there on Sunday morning uh, before daylight, and again, this is from a story in the Russell County News, about 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, an examining trial was called by H.H. Dunbar, the county judge of Russell. An examination was waived. He waived the examining trial. The accused was ordered to remain in jail until 8 o'clock Monday morning 
when he was again to be presented to the court and presumably to see if a grand jury had indicted him the next day. And so all of this happened on a Sunday morning in Jamestown and the newspaper report said all day Sunday, Jamestown was full of men and mob talk was freely indulged. And between 9 and 10 o'clock on Sunday night, a mob numbering between 60 and 75 men, some accounts say 100, went to the jail for the purpose of taking Hill out and hanging him. But he had been spirited away by officers. And they failed to find him there. And they began questioning, uh, uh, I think it was Charles Sullivan, who was the deputy jailer and the jailer's son, where is he? And he wouldn't say where they had taken uh, Elmer Hill. Uh, but as we know, uh, the jailer, Clay Sullivan, had transported him to Monticello, dressed as a woman to try and protect mm -hmm. him until a trial could be had. The story uh, I place a lot of stock in is, if you all remember Miss Jane Sullivan, who was a teacher here, her husband, they called him Doodle Sullivan. Yep. He was Clay Sullivan's son, and he, but he was only about four or five years old. And he uh, told the story that uh, of how it, uh, the, the group, he recognized some people, he told me, uh, Prominent Russell County citizens who were involved, according to some reports. Let me yes. read this. Let me read this, Lowell. I'll tell you that Mr. Sullivan knew a few of them to be very prominent businessmen of Jamestown, and they asked him, Lawrence Sullivan, if they knew where his father had taken Hill. He replied he did not know where they had gone. One man, had, one man wanted to beat the truth out of Sullivan, and the others calmed him down. And as they left, one man said, we will get him if we have to walk through hell and back. Correct. So they were, they were after Elmer Hill, and another newspaper account said that it's almost certain that the officers carried Hill to the Monticello Jail for safekeeping. As it is known, they crossed, crossed Greasy Creek going on that direction about 7 o'clock Monday morning. We learned, this is a newspaper account, we learned from a reliable source that had the mob secured Hill at the jail on the square in Jamestown, all arrangements had already been made to burn him alive. Right. That, that was to take him back to St. Owen, burn him, to burn him back alive. to Mount Olive. Yeah. We're going to take him to the scene of the... Correct. Just, build a, just burn him alive. Who was going to start that fire? They, the story is that, that she would like N the That was Elmer's mother. I mean, Nanny's mother. Nanny's mother was going to light the fire. The deceased girl, her mother had, and there's newspaper accounts of that, had said if they brought him there to burn him alive, she would. And, um, find out that he is in Monticello. And this mob, they, they, yeah, but they also searched homes in Jamestown. They thought he might still be in Jamestown. Yes, and they weren't satisfied when they went to the jail and talked to the jailer's son. They said, "Well, he's hiding. They've hid him somewhere around town here." They didn't know about it. he was in Wayne County, but they they apparently searched homes in town, didn't they? They did, and in fact, came to 
Judy's grandmother told me that she was a little girl and they came to her home because her dad was deputy sheriff. Last and name was Morrison, right? Morrison. Yep. And that would have been Judy, your wife's grandfather, was deputy sheriff. Right. Okay. All right. Interesting. And, and so they began searching homes in Jamestown. And so if you can just imagine that, you can understand the mob mentality. I mean, they were going to find him and they were going to kill him uh, as soon as they found him, either by burning him alive or, as, as we know, what ultimately happened. So how did they get to, to Monticello? What happened, do you know? Well, they, when they did learn that he was in Monticello jail, they decided that they would go over there and get him. On Monday. On Monday. But when they got to the Greasy Creek Ferry, the operator would not take them across the river. In the meantime, the sheriff and jailer in Wayne County had heard the rumor that they were coming, so they were going to take him to Lexington, going to take Elmer Hill to Lexington to jail. And uh, when they couldn't get across the river, the word got back to Monticello, and some people overtook the sheriff and told him that that they couldn't get across the river, so therefore they took Elmer back to the Monticello jail. And, and, and well, let me interject here. So you say they, they went down the Jamestown Turnpike, and again, it was the Cumberland River. It wasn't Lake Cumberland. It's 1908, and there was a ferry. Right. Uh, about where would that ferry be located today? If you're familiar with how the streams ran then, it would have been right at the mouth of Greasy Creek. They called it the Greasy Creek Ferry. Okay. And they had a landing there at the mouth of Greasy Creek. And that ferry just went across the river to Wayne County and and right. went on into Monticello. And Monticello was supposed to have built the same type of road on their side, okay. which never got completed. It's still just kind of an old... Third <laughs> path? Path. But, uh, so initially, the, the ferry operator wouldn't let them across. Right. Okay, what happened? And then they went on upriver someplace, maybe as far as Burnside, to find them a crossing... And they went by that route to Monticello. And a grandson of the of the jailer, who was a Mr. Ramsey, told me that Mr. Ramsey was threatened that he that they would kill him and his family if if he didn't give up Elmer Hill. So he had really no choice. Now, the statements that some of the mob made didn't agree with it. They said that he just readily handed over Elmer to him. And there is a story in a Wayne County uh, newspaper, I think it was the Outlook then, uh, which said basically that, that the jailer, uh, Jailer Ramsey, the Wayne County jailer, saw the mob and knew there was nothing that he could do and turned over Mr. Hill to them. Right, yeah. and that you probably know the the Ramsey that I talked to. He was a lawyer in Wayne County, and mm. uh, 
So, so on Monday night, they try to go over. They can't. And I, I think what uh, the sheriff, after they couldn't get over there, when, when they're on their way to Lexington with, with Elmer and the jailer, they said, well, they can't get over here. They bring him back. Uh, they thought, well, he's going to be safe now. Right. And the sheriff was quoted, he's going to be, we've got him, he's going to be okay. Uh, you know, they had had lookouts around the ferries and places to get word if they were coming. They wouldn't let them across. So he said he's going to be okay. Yeah. I, I think they, they would find another route. I doubt if they swam their horses across the river on, you know, that cold weather because I think about then the temperature was somewhere below freezing. Uh, so I doubt if the most cold winters we used to have all the time. <laughs> so I doubt if they went across the river on their horses. I I've got a feeling they went to another ferry, or on Wednesday they didn't go on Monday. They went back right, home. Right. So they gave it up on Wednesday, the fourteenth. But on Wednesday that mob reforms, and they're determined to go, and they find another route. Right. A route that would not alert the sheriff or the jailer in Wayne County that they were coming. And again, there's a story in the Russell County News, uh, uh, October of 1979, which said the angry mob was not to be stopped, even though they had been denied travel on the Greasy Creek Ferry. As Lowell said, they went another direction. They traveled to Monticello, and the frightened jailer offered no resistance. And the mob's plan of action was to hang hill on the courthouse yard in Jamestown but daylight soon broke, and the lynch mob uh, settled for another location. Is that right? I think they arrived down at the Getty Spring location, and it was getting daylight, and they didn't want to be seen, so they hung him on that spot instead of bringing him on to Jamestown. Or I think originally their plan was taken to Sano, but then they didn't Ran think out they time. had time, and... So they just, they did it there. Yeah, the account were, I'm sorry, John, the accounts were it was becoming daylight and they were afraid they would be seen and someone would try to stop and all that. So they went ahead and did it. And where did the actual hanging of Elmer Hill take place today? Where would you refer to that as today? I, I call it Getty Spring. If you're going down towards the boat dock, uh, you get before you get to Pumpkin Creek Road. Mm -hmm. There was a slightly level place, and for years there was a concrete slab there that they poured to cover that spring. Just this side of there, there was a toll gate. That was where the toll gate was at. But anyway. Uh, this toll, toll gate as if you had to pay money to keep going. Right. But my understanding was that there might have been 30, 40, 50 of the people, but uh, there couldn't have been that many. They couldn't have all had their horses there, and yeah. uh, there wouldn't have been enough room. Was it more likely 25 or 30? It's more like 24 or 5, yeah. That's a long trip to Monticello. Yes, it was. Oh, and remember, we're on horseback. Right. Were they wearing hoods? You heard some... I'd never seen anything that indicated that they were... But when they first came to Jamestown, we know they were wearing masks. Yeah. Uh, I've only got to interview, like, one person that was supposedly in the mob. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And uh, he did tell me that they were wearing masks when they went to Jamestown and everything. But uh, um, and, and so they get him back, and they're fearful of coming on into town or going on to St. O or Mount Olive, uh, the scene of the alleged crime. So they decide to hang him there at the place you describe, which is between Jamestown and the Jamestown Marina in, in, in that area. Uh, and that's where he was ultimately executed uh, by lynching. Um, you, you mentioned this reward, and I think it's important to talk about that. The governor of Kentucky offered a $250 reward, reward for the arrest and the conviction of the person responsible for killing Nanny Womack. Uh, the Russell County judge, who would be like a district judge today, Tony, uh, offered a $100 reward. And by uh, these affidavits and other things, uh, this Wilson, Wolford, and Shepard uh, signed affidavits to collect that $100 reward uh, from Russell County. Uh, and it was denied, uh, which was... By the county attorney. By the county attorney, who was a man by the name of J.N. Meadows. J.N. Meadows was county attorney. Uh, he would have been, Lowell, I think we talked about this, he would have been the great-grandfather of Betty Meadows Colvin, who now lives in Louisville. And uh, I know she's a fan of the program, but uh, her great-grandfather was county attorney, and he issued an opinion that since Elmer Hill had not been convicted, that these three gentlemen who had found him and brought him to jail were not entitled to the reward. That and the fact that the judge was really not entitled to offer reward yeah. without the court. Yeah, well, it wasn't authorized to do it. Yes. Yeah, the judge, uh, Yeah, the, but the reward said for the arrest and conviction. So those guys. Let, let's back up a little bit. Elmer Hills is, is on his way to his death. They're running out of time. Daylight's coming. They hang him from that tree that you, you've seen when you were younger. Uh, there, there is the reports where he said that, that he'd done it. He confessed, and there's, there's different accounts on, on some of that, but uh, fill us in on that. Well... They said that he requested a prayer and a song and a song, and uh, I believe that song was "Savior of My Soul" or right that, yeah. and um, they did that and prayed for him. Yes, and uh, now that was the people who's doing the hangings account. Uh, and at least one person who was there said, "No, that didn't happen." He, they, there wasn't he no singing have, or praying. No, there not was, for him anyway. And that he that he never begged for mercy. He didn't ask for prayer. There, there's an account also, Lowell, in one of the newspaper stories that Elmer Hill asked uh, or made a statement. I know you men are armed. I'd rather you not shoot me. Just go ahead and hang me. Right. Something along along that line. And that that's entirely possible yeah. that he said that. Uh, a lot of these things that have been recorded are possible, and there's some that would have been impossible. 
and uh, so I, I'm hesitant to give names or anything because there's still ancestors of all of these people living here in Russell County. There's lots of ancestors, lots of people related, both sides. Both sides. Eddie, mayor, Eddie Thomas, mayor, he's he's related. He was telling me this week. His mother and was a woman. Betty Smith, and we appreciate her for, for some information she gave us. Betty Lou Smith. Yeah, Betty, Betty Lou. Lou Regal Smith, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, so they hang him, and they just leave, and they leave him hanging there. Then, then what happens to him? Well, he was discovered by the boy going to school, Jim, Wolfers. which have been somewhere from between six and eight o'clock, probably, and uh, somehow his father got word. I think that that Elmer was hanging down there, so the, some officials went to the scene and apparently some cameraman went there and made pictures now a lot of pictures that I've seen couldn't have possibly been made at that location there wasn't enough space and and one that I saw had a lot of men around the hanging man and that was actually a picture that was taken I believe down around Hopkinsville of the hanging <laughs> But those pictures got sold. People People. made money selling those pictures, and a lot of them were fake. I have seen one picture. And he's hanging by himself. There's nobody around. Is that the picture? Yes. Yep. And that original picture's out in California, and I've not been able to secure it in any way. But anyway, I have a copy of it, and I think it's very legitimate right and it this fellow that owns the picture told me that it had been evaluated by a professional and it's authentic i've seen that <coughs> and they've enhanced it and made it look a little better uh we're run, quickly running out of time but uh the coroner other officials go they cut elmer down they take him to jamestown they've got to do something with the body they build a crude coffin Apparently didn't fit in it, so they just sort of crammed him in it, right? Right. They weren't worried about sizing him up, uh, but they've got to do something with this man's corpse. So he laid around Jamestown all day, literally laid around Jamestown all day. And here's where, uh, you know, you get some of the mystery. Where is he buried? He's buried at the back of Jamestown Cemetery. In an unmarked grave. In an unmarked grave. In fact, there's a tree growing out of the grave now. There were some reports, Lowell, in some of the newspaper stories that he was buried three or four different places because the family was concerned that his body would be exhumed by by folks. Is that true? That's true. Okay. Uh, a lot of people was up in arms about that, where he would be buried. But uh, actually, I think at that time it was private property, but it was just did join the Jamestown Cemetery. Uh, I I have good evidence, I think, from eyewitnesses that that's where he's buried. Now, there was a story that he was to be uh, taken out of his grave, sent to Uvalde or someplace, and an autopsy done, and look at his brain. and See why he done something. Why he did it. I don't think that ever happened. There would have been some record of it, and yeah. there's no no record that right. that ever happened. And we've got just a couple of minutes left, and I want to give a shout-out to someone you know, Lowell, and you were talking to us before we went on the air, 
about James D. Garner. He has put together a manuscript. It's called The Womack Hill Tragedies, Russell County, Kentucky, December 1908, uh, by James D. Garner of Gambier, Ohio, uh, but someone from Russell County and quite distinguished past. He gives a big shout out to you, Lowell, for all of your contributions in, in this, but um, uh, who is he that put this together? <laughs> <laughs> James D. Garner uh, went to high school here, graduated with a niece of mine and some other people that I know, and a lot of people know him. Uh, in fact, I think he and uh, one of our councilmen at Jamestown, Mr. Coffee, are friends. Uh, you can see his uh, some of his post on Facebook, and his, under Jerome Gandy, mm. that's mm. the name he uses it Is on Facebook. A, nice work. Yeah. He's he's quite a character. He's about six foot four. Uh, was a professor at Western. Was right? a professor at Western. He got a lot of his information from the Kentucky Library there mm. on campus, and uh, there was a Doctor Montel. Oh yeah, Doctor Linwood Montel. Okay. Yeah. He contributed a lot of information from students from Russell County who had given that. Yeah. I have all of that. The information I have all of the background data that that this was developed from. Yep. J.D. Garner was brilliant, is brilliant, and uh, a very good writer. Yeah, one of the articles I referred to was written by Larry Bernard, uh, who wrote an article for the Russell County News. Larry Bernard grew up in Jamestown, son of Roy Bernard, uh, and I believe he wrote this article while he was a student at Western. Uh, for the Russell County News. Nobody was ever charged with lynching Elmer Hill. No. And the tale is that a lot of them died mysterious deaths and so on, which is not necessarily true either. Uh, Public opinion at the time was he got what he deserved. Correct. And then and you'd be terrible. surprised, Jeff, how many people have that mentality right now here in Russell County that uh, if it's a horrible crime, you should just do away with the person instantly. They shouldn't have to be a court trial or that sort of thing. It is is prevalent, and it is scary that that's... Nanny Nanny Womack's uh, tombstone, and uh, and I've I've been there many times. We used to play down there when my uncle lived nearby, but uh, was born April 7th, 1898, died December 8th, 1908. Nanny P. Womack, a precious one from us has gone. A voice we loved is stilled. A place is vacant in her home that never can be filled. She's never been forgotten. Correct. The death of Nanny Womack, the hanging of Elmer Hill. Part of the history of Russell County, the only hanging in the history of the county. Lowell Robertson, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We could talk for another hour, (laughs) but we're out of time, and we appreciate you coming by and talking with us. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Lowell. Be sure next uh, Friday, Tony and I will have as our guest right here with us, Byron Crawford, longtime Courier-Journal columnist and uh, producer of Kentucky Life on KET. And he is so excited, Tony, and he's going to talk about a lot of Russell County characters, as he said, that he has met over the year. And it's going to be a fascinating program next Friday at 8 o'clock. He's a great guy. It's going to be a good one. Yeah.
That's it for Tony Kerr. I'm Jeff Hoover. This is All Things Russell on WJRS Jamestown, Russell Springs.